This is pretty much pop, a culture podcast, a little underproved and so little dense, but with clearly defined layers, and the flavour is great overall, with the tartness of the brine, well balanced by the sweetness of the Erica. Just not sure why you thought you needed the flaky ham on top. I'm Mark Lindsamar, I'm afraid I've I've thrown my bake in the bin. I'm Erica Spires, and I don't care if you call them sultanas or raisins, they're still disgusting. And I'm Brian Hurt, hoping not to deliver a metaphorical soggy bottom today, or an actual one. <laughs> and our guest. And I'm Stephen Carlyle, and I'm a huge fan. Of the Bake Off? Of something? A Bake Off, Mary Berry, you, Christmas, everything. Yeah, so I did not I did not actually specify what the topic is, but it hopefully is obvious or maybe just completely mysterious to folks that don't know what this is. But we had one on reality arts competition shows a while ago, but that did not go into cooking, into baking at all. And then Erica and Brian were longtime watchers of this, the Great British Baking Show. Or as Stephen <laughs> would call it, the Great British Bake Off. Do you know why? But I call it Bake Off just because I want to be more British. Because you're a poser. I'm guessing it involves lawyers, Stephen, but tell us. I discovered that the Bake Off brand, the name Bake Off, was owned by the US company Pillsbury. And so when it came to America, they weren't allowed to call it Bake Off. It had to be Baking Show. I never knew that until very recently. And it changed everything. That's interesting. Because you'd think Pillsbury, so is that, that's a copyright, right? Yeah. You'd think they would have copyrighted in multiple countries. You guys have Pillsbury there, right? Pillsbury. I don't actually know what Pillsbury is, but <laughs> I never looked that. I never looked that up. It's a plump white gentleman. He's about this tall, and he he wanders up, and uh, you poke him in the, the belly, and he he laughs. Yeah, something like that. The Pillsbury Doughboy went over to England during World War One and fought in the trenches. I mean. It's a whole thing, Erica. But the way trademarks work, and this is really why people are listening to a show about Bake Off, right, is that if Bake Off were already in England, established it as something, then Pillsbury couldn't stand up its trademark there. So is this why we're talking about the Bake Off? That is a great point to start on. Yeah. <laughs> to infuse this with life. Actually, can we say a little about Stephen and your magnificence and why people might have heard of you? We certainly can. I play Scar in The Lion King on Broadway. And I've been doing it here for three and a half years. And now people can book you on Airbnb now that Broadway is on hiatus. All of a sudden, you could give this Christmas the gift of a lifetime. And you could give me, as an Airbnb experience, or any holiday, you could give me. And I'm not just for Christmas. I will be there in January and February. And we can sing through the January blues with Broadway tunes. So that's what I'm doing. That's a very mysterious offer, but let's not clarify. Let's... <laughs> <laughs> Let me just clarify just a moment. All right, just all right. What people do, they come on in there, like tens or companies, I've got lots of corporates, and I teach them, I give them a warm-up, my walk-to-work warm-up, and then I'll show them what I do in the dressing rooms and in the wings before I go on during Circle of Life, and uh, give them a warm-up, and then I will teach them how to sing a song, and then we'll pick it apart, and I'll tell them anecdotes, things that have happened on Broadway and in the West End over the last 20 years. And then, you know, it's really... A, an amazing thing. And I'm loving meeting all the people that I wouldn't necessarily meet along the way who come and see the show. Quite often you go on stage, you take your bow, and there's 2,000 people, you never meet them. And now I get to meet them and it's really glorious. While we're on a tangent from the baking show, can I ask Stephen some questions? Because I need to know. I've seen the movie the Lion King, well, the original, many times in the remake, a couple times. I didn't realize Scar has anything to do during 
circle of life other than be petulant in the corner. He's not in circle of life. I'll be in the wings. I'll be in the wings jumping up and down and like making funny noises. And as soon as the boom comes at the end of circle of life, I'm on stage with the mouse. And that's about the time of the movie I pretty much stopped watching now. I just watched yeah. it. <laughs> I really narrowed it down to those first three minutes, but that's awesome. See the stage show if you can. My husband and I went to see Steven in it almost two years ago now. And wow. he was fabulous. And it was hitting its 20th anniversary. It was so freaking fun. Uh, like just wonderful, wonderful show, even after all that time. Anyway, Bake Off. Yeah, can we give our priors? Erica and Brian, you're the ones who made us do this. So you guys start. <laughs> I feel like Brian's more excited than I am. So you start off, Brian. Well, I will say, just stepping back a little from the show itself, in this world we're in right now with all of programming or so much of programming just being on whenever you want to watch it, Bake Off is one of those few things in my life now that actually happens on a certain day of the week. You know, it's my Friday night program at the end of a long week, and I really miss having a Friday night thing. I'm, I'm not really a going out sort of person. And back in the day, it was X-Files before they moved that to Sunday. And other than maybe sporting events, it's the last piece of appointment viewing I have. And I know, Mark, you already mentioned talking about reality program and competition programming. I just like the tone and the overall general niceness of that after a long week. And we can you know, talk about how the tone has changed and it is no longer quite what it was, but it is a, a tonic. It, it doesn't ask that much of you and you don't have to give that much of yourself to it to watch and enjoy. And like every reality show that involves cooking or food, at the end of the day, you can't taste it. So you have no right to even even have that strong opinion. Runway, you can say, man, I could see this stuff and this was terrible. I don't know why it won. But if the judges say, well, this was a disaster, but it tasted great. Well, I believe you. I, I'm just sitting here on my couch eating popcorn. I have, I have no reason to know any more than what you're telling me. I'm a big fan. And I also have been watching the American version as well, which I didn't think I would like. And I found I have enjoyed the great American baking show quite a bit as well. So I started watching it as soon as it was on Netflix, and I guess it took off a few years ago. And then they started showing some of the earlier seasons that they originally didn't have on Netflix. My husband and I were both very sad when the changeover happened, and we no longer had Mary Berry, but Prue is quite sweet. I just think it's delightful, and there's, there are not a lot of television shows that are delightful anymore. There's not a lot of things in the world that are delightful anymore. And yeah, I think that's part of it too, Brian, is that you don't have to give too much to it, but it's just so lovely and it is artistic. One of the most wonderful things about it is the music behind it and the wonderful sketches of all of the bakes. It just feels like everything's done with such care. I also am a sucker for all of the regional accents. And I think it's absolutely fantastic how many different accents there are in such a small geographic landmass. So you must have loved how Mark drifted through four of them, plus two made-up ones. <laughs> All right, I had to get that out of my system, and Erica set me up. I'm done with that for... I want to hear Stephen's priors before I give my newbie opinions. I mean, I've been watching it for 10 years. I think it's been going for 10 years, and such a staple thing to watch. It's like a national treasure in the UK. You've got the Queen, and then you've got... Great British Bake Off. And everybody tunes in and it just gives you that wonderful sense of nostalgia when you watch. It's so BBC. It's so polite. It's a wonderful formula. It's baking. Wonderful. When I watch it, I can smell it. I don't know how that is, but I can smell everything they do. And it's in a tent on the green lawn in some stately home. Everybody, as you said, Erica, so polite to each other. 
I love that. And it's so untelevision, you know, like everything else in the world is so like they're asking you, oh, say something mean about that person. You get all that, you know, whereas this is just they want to help each other. They have rules. They can't help each other, you know, but they're desperate to sort of pick each other up. And somebody couldn't make a, a chocolate mousse and you could see Raul go, oh, I want to tell her how to make a chocolate you know, everyone just looking after each other. It's just this form of meditation, I find, you know, when you watch. Just when you think it can't get any better, it just does. I miss Mary Berry so much and Mel and Sue. And just like, it just gets better and better. And I love going back and watching the old. It's just glorious. So I only started watching this just because we set up this episode. So I can be the control group. I guess. And I watched the entire, what I thought was season one, because Netflix says it's season one, but they were already referring to like, oh, this is the biggest thing in the history of the Bake Off. And I see that it was actually series five with Nancy Bertwistle and Richard Burr and Louis Troiano, who I see just passed away like in the last month. Yeah. So I saw that one from beginning to end, and then there were a couple other episodes more recent that Erica required of us. So were you just trying to kind of cover the various types of things they do? Like, we want to make sure you see that they do an elaborate sculpture, and we want to see it, you know, a more basic. So I probably got all that even through one season, but it was interesting to watch the different hosts and the different setup and how the comedians work. And so I have a lot of opinions, but I don't want to just give them all right now. Sure. Yeah, I had found somewhere along the line, there, there's list after list of here, are the best Bake Off episodes. And this was from one of those lists. I, I was like, oh, I remember that. So I'll put this on the list. So there are a couple from the same season. There's one from the first season that we have. There's the regular Bake Off series on Netflix. And then there's like beginnings, right? Isn't that like a different one? And then we have the holiday one. So there are all these different things that you can watch. And now like Brian had introduced me, I didn't even realize there was the great American baking show, which is still in the tent and still with Paul Hollywood. But instead, now who's the female? Brian, do you know who the female host is? Just by the program. She's an American. She's a very big baker, isn't she? In America. So Sherry Yard and then the hosts are Anthony Adams and Emma Bunton, otherwise known as Baby Spice. Do, 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 do. And Spice Adams, is that's his his nickname as a football player. <laughs> Did they choose them just for their Spice names? Is that... <laughs> <laughs> Though I will say they go back to a somewhat simpler time of being less in-your-face presenters. I like them together. I'm with you on that. They only show up every once in a while, and it's more about the baking. But this is part of the controversy, right? So we've had some changes with the Bake Off. There was a big split from when it moved from the BBC. I guess the BBC couldn't increase the money to what was expected of the production company once they finally kind of made it big. So it moved to ITV. Is that right? Channel 4. What is Channel 4, Stephen? This is, you guys speak in a totally different language about. Well, Channel 4 is like, you know, ITV. It's funny. You'd say something was, oh, it's a bit ITV, you know, or you'd say, well, that's very Channel 4, which is Channel 4 is like, you know, a bit off the wall, bit avant-garde, you know, it's a bit Noel Fielding, you know, Mighty Boosh, which is where Noel Fielding comes Ah. from, where he made his huge name. ITV is sort of a lovely family channel. BBC is very sort of proper and lovely. There's no adverts on the BBC. That's one thing I missed from the Bake Off is like the no adverts. And then Channel 4 is for, is a bit, as I said, avant-garde. So it went to them and they offered them something like £20 million for series, whereas I think the BBC could only sort of reach 15. That was very sad because it was a very British BBC kind of show. 
And everybody stayed very loyal. The three ladies stayed very loyal. Mary Berried had had like, you know, a career of 60 years, you know, on the BBC. So she certainly wasn't going to move to Channel 4. And also Mel and Sue, you know, they weren't even told that there was going to be a change or even that there was going to be dealings in like changing. So I think they felt a little bit sort of, I don't know, gazumped or something. So they decided not to go along. It wasn't that they were fired, right? They decided not to go along from what I, I think. No, yeah, sure. Certainly not fine. So would Mel and Sue have been familiar faces to the British audience at whom this was originally aimed? Oh, sure. All the um, hosts. Is that what we call them? The hosts? The comedians? Yeah. Presenters. They're all huge in the UK. Even now, Noel Fielding, Matt Lucas massive, massive. And Sandy Toxvig, you know, they're all very, very big. Yes. I didn't realize Sandy Toxvig, she was one that I didn't recognize. And I just, you know, as I was looking her up, she took over QI from Stephen Fry. Oh yeah. Very funny. Long, long career. I think for us Americans, to me at least, Noel Fielding is the most recognizable person on there. Would you guys agree, Bri? Well, Matt Lucas now, I definitely knew better. I think Matt Lucas just because of his... Do you know him from Little Britain? Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Oh, and Doctor Who. But I, yeah, from both. I was not familiar with the original presenters. Maybe the humor was too subtle, too British for me. In that season that I watched, they were a little clever, but like I I kind of was mystified. I feel like they were playing on the goodwill, and, and maybe this is true of the newer ones as well, that they're playing on the goodwill and the good laughs that people have had with them already in other venues. And so they're not trying to do maybe more so the newer folks to do so much shtick. It's more just having a personality and having a nice voice to introduce the various dishes. I'm just a little mystified. I I guess it's because these things are so long. Like, why do they need two of them? What are they really doing there? I think for me, there'd be something very missing if they weren't there. I think if there was just baking and then the hosts, you know, Paul and Mary, and if you didn't have those people, they just, for me, they're the glue that just keep it sort of bubbling along. And I just, I laugh my head off. Whatever they're doing, I just love them. Maybe it's a British thing. I don't know. Maybe you're right. It's because I've known them for like 20 years, you know, and I find them hysterical before. So any sort of little nuanced bit of comedy that they do, I'm like, oh, this is fabulous, you know. So, and it's the tiniest innuendos as well, you know, that go along. And all the like, oh, the soggy bottoms, you know, whenever things get said like that, like soggy bottoms or, oh, I love your bulbs or, or whatever like that, then, you know, it's like they're the ones that go, oh, oh. Or Matt Lucas, is they say something sort of carry on film to like, you know, and he's like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's just, I love it. It's like the dirty old church lady who's not really that dirty, but she thinks she's being really, she thinks she's being naughty. I love the support they give to bakers who are having a hard time. And I see a lot of that in Noel, more so even than Matt. When I'm struggling, I want a bake-off judge by my side giving me the encouragement to say that I can do it and it'll be fine. And they really, especially the two original women, seem really empathetic. It's so great. And I remember watching the American is Chopped, the show where they have three rounds on the Food Network and they go through and they have to do a thing. And at some point, someone had to make ice cream and and like the cameraman like zooms in on the ice cream maker that the person doesn't see. And I feel like the British baking show, someone would say, oh, you know, there's an ice cream maker over there. You should use it. Just like, why are you being so mean to these people in America? Just give them some support and the tools to succeed, which I know is totally counter to the middle round, the technical challenges, which are just bonkers and kind of anti-British baking show to me. It's my least favorite part of the show, for sure. The technicals? The technical challenges where they are put in a position to fail rather than succeed. 
drives me a little crazy. I feel like those have gotten worse over the years, though. I think if you look at the earlier technicals, they were asking you to do something that most bakers, if you called yourself a baker, you had at least heard of and you kind of knew how to do instinctively. I think over the years, it has become just trying to do it for laughs almost. I'm seeing a lot more failures than I feel like I did before. And Mark, to your comment about the presenters, I actually wanted to throw in this, which I did not realize until I was researching. There's an article from the BBC that we'll link to. It says the original presenters, Mel and Sue, are often credited with helping set the tone of the show. They reportedly stormed off set during the first series, accusing a producer of trying to manufacture X-Factor-style drama when a contestant was reduced to tears over a personal issue. No one ever cried again, Perkins told The Telegraph. Maybe they cry because their souffle collapsed, but nobody's crying because someone's going, does this mean a lot about your grandmother? And isn't that wonderful? Somebody stood up to the producers early on and said, we're not going to have that kind of show. That's really interesting. And I didn't know that. And that's what I love about the Bake Off is that it doesn't have that sort of X factor feel. And so that's wonderful that Mel and Sue, were they were behind all. That's very interesting. Well, there was one moment that felt a bit sort of too television for me. Later on, I think it might have been in the second or third season. There was a, it was called Bingate. Do you know about Bingate? I think that's the one I saw that I was referencing my opening thing with a guy. Somebody took his ice cream. He was using the wrong fridge. And so the other contestants took his, uh, his ice cream cake, went out of the fridge to get to their own stuff and forgot to put it back she or just didn't. Forgot. Yeah. And then he came over and says, where's my ice cream? Where's my ice cream? And she went, oh, it's here. I'm so sorry. And he was like, why would you take ice cream out of the fridge? This is the first and only time we've ever seen that. And I thought, oh God, they're going to go the wrong way. This is all going to go the wrong way now. You know, it's going to be like this all the way through. But that was just the one-off moment. Of course, he didn't have anything to present at the end because he threw it in the bit the garbage and so he didn't get to stay he was he brought the garbage up though he brought the garbage can up to and then mary berry was so wonderful she said this is one of those moments that you probably want to forget don't you you know you wish never happened you want to forget he was like yeah i do regret it actually and you know ever since that he's been so nice but that woman diane she left the show as well Something happened. There was a bit of a scandal. And I think she fell. Something happened. That night she fell, hit her head, and then suddenly she was off the show, which sounded all too sort of, you know, coincidental, but uh, that's what happened. So she wasn't seen on the show again. I think she felt very, very bad. And it certainly wasn't her fault. She just forgot. You know, it was very warm in that tent as well. Everything was melting. And that was the one moment I thought, oh, this is going in the wrong direction. It's going X Factor rather than this lovely BBC thing. If only Noel Fielding had been there poised to point out that there was ice cream sitting out. There you go. You would have thought some camera person would have noticed. One of the six camera people, I looked up that there, I was wondering how they film all these people doing stuff at the same time, especially when they're like counting down the last five minutes and somehow they're showing simultaneously. It's a very sophisticated like time code setup so that when you're doing the editing, you got to make sure that everything is actually happening in the correct sequence. Can we talk about it as a reality show? I mean, we already said sort of what's different than the prototypical reality show is the more meditative, sedate tone. I mean, I to try to compare this to other things, I turned on Five Minutes of Cake Wars this morning and it immediately blew me away with some heavy metal music. <laughs> and I'm like, this is not, I, I don't want to sit through even a second of this. <laughs> they feel so fake. <laughs> Yes, but it still matters. We've talked about in, on our other reality show one, are you watching it for the human connection? Are you watching it for the, the skill 
that's shown. And clearly, like, these people have to be amateurs, right? You can't have had, like, a degree, at least within the last 10 years, that you earned in professional cooking. And obviously, they want to make sure their personalities are good and they can talk to the people Mm -hmm. while they're baking and things like that and have a nice representation, a good balance, you know, especially as the show has gone on. Certainly just jumping in the middle of a later season and like, I don't know these people. I don't care nearly as much about what they're doing because I have it from the beginning sort of, but it's pretty subtle. The editing is very fast. So many other reality shows, I forward through the biographical stuff because there's so much of it, but this seems like really compact, like just a minute of like this guy goes home to his kids and cooks for them. And that's like all you learn on what, maybe they'll have a couple more flashbacks later, but it's a very gradual process and more getting to know their artistic sensibilities than their over-the-top personalities. I love that about it. The only American show I can really compare it to is Making It, which is hosted by Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler. That's the only one I can personally think of that is We're going to tell you a little bit about who this person is in what they do. And then it's mostly just going to be them creating something hopefully beautiful and people trying to help each other out. And nobody wants to say goodbye and everybody's sad when somebody leaves. And I'm always heartbroken when somebody leaves on Bake Off because I do feel like I've started to get to know them, especially if it's a little old man. Oh my gosh, when Norman leaves, it just breaks my heart. I always feel like Paul Hollywood isn't nice enough to the little old men. Well, that's just it, isn't it? It's not a little old man, it's the little old man of the season because they've stopped actually getting bakers and just started getting archetypes. And here's the student, (laughs) and here's the scientist, and here's the old gay man, and here's the woman who works for the government service. Here's the immigrant. And we got to get one in each spot. And it's fine, but it also gets kind of hard to tell the seasons apart. We were talking about who's your favorite baker. I was starting to conflate them and I was really having to look back and I was kind of mixing some people together just because of the similarity of who they're finding. I guess there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's a formula and there's a reason TV shows have formulas because people don't go to see something really new each time. They go to see just a certain amount of newness. But there is a, I would rather see different kinds of bakers rather than different kinds of baking challenges, because I I feel like that has been where the show has been falling down quite a bit. That's a good point. I just wait for that time in the podcast where Erica says I made a good point. So Mm -hmm. there's usually one at just one, one point. We haven't talked about the judges yet. One of the articles that I think Erica found was making me feel worse about Paul Hollywood. And maybe it's just, again, because I haven't seen the later seasons extensively, but I don't know. Is he a jerk? Is he like the Simon Cowell of the thing where he gets to be the one who turns his nose up? What is his role and do you like it? Stephen, how big was Paul Hollywood? I mean, you said they were all known when the show started. How big was he when the show started? Uh, oh, well, no, I certainly didn't know of Paul Hollywood before. Okay. But everybody else, like all the comedians and Mary oh, okay. Berry, of course, she was huge. You know, she's been huge all, you know, for years. She's a dame I did not realize. Dame Mary. Yeah. So when the show started, he was the junior judge in a way just because she was known and he wasn't. I mean, I don't actually know if he was, I'm sure to some people he was known, but he was a baker, you know, he had a shop and like, he just wanted to be a good baker. And then, you know, he got on this show and and that suited him, you know, the character that he, and every show needs like the baddie, X Factor, has a Simon Cowell, you know, all those, they all have a baddie and he suits it very well, but he's not, he's not a baddie. I think he's like a lovely, cuddly sort of person. He's very good to people and he helps. But, you know, he just plays that character because, I don't know, you need it. There was a wonderful, so can I just tell you, there was one, I always remember, 
I heard this years ago. He had this, I don't know, with all this success, he bought a lovely sports car. I don't know what it was. It was red. It was sporty. And he drove it to some party. Mary Berry saw it. And with a Sharpie, she wrote her name saying, love Mary on the car. And I always heard that he called the police on her. But actually, that didn't happen when I read it up recently. It was the security guard came in and said, oh, by the way, Mary Berry's done this. Would you like me to phone the police? He said, absolutely not. Please don't do that. But, you know, the week later, he said, Mary, I mean, I've been trying to get it off. It won't come off. So she went outside with a flannel and she spent half an hour trying to rub it off, but it never came off. So I think it's still there. And actually, (laughs) wouldn't that be great to have your car signed by Mary Berry? I think he could sell that car at auction for quite a bit of money. Exactly. Then you suddenly, you may as well just have all the comedians just sign it. Your red Mustang, whatever it is. You know. I think in order to answer that question too, Mark, you have to compare Paul to whoever he's on the show with, right? So when he was with Mary, he was a little, I don't know, there was something a bit cuter about him. And he was definitely like, he's still supposed to play the baddie, but not, I don't feel like it was as strong. I think when Prue came on board, he maybe took a bit more of that. But maybe that was part of the Channel 4 aspect of that. But then if you also watch him on the American Baking Show, he's kind of the nice one. Did you notice this, Brian? I'm noticing that he is the one being more uplifting towards people. And the American judge is like, too bad you didn't do that. That was a lost opportunity. And he's like, oh, it's a shame. I think the same message delivered in a British way just comes off as a little softer sometimes. It could be wrong. You know, that accent does different things to us when we hear it as Americans. I suppose. But I saw one where he hugged the contestant. She was so nervous to be in front of these two sort of icons. And he went around, gave her a big hug and said, oh, I'm just a cuddly bear. I'm not really terrifying. And then probably slammed her for something, you know, (laughs) underbaked and gooey. I think the comedian said he's lying immediately after that. I think I saw that today. (laughs) Yeah, he's certainly not as mean as Simon Cowell. I think Simon Cowell is just kind of awful. And it's also kind of a shtick, this having the inscrutable look of asking a question and someone answers and he just sort of stares at them and they don't know if they've given the right answer or the wrong answer or is that too much baking soda or not enough or whatever. And he's kind of getting in their heads a little bit and it's just the show. I can't imagine. I mean, if you were really giving someone instruction about how to bake or giving them guidance, he would be such a, a weirdo about it. I guess I'm just not sure how much to trust the objectivity of his, uh, you know, clearly a lot of it is mechanical and he'll point out with his finger, he'll cut it in half and like, okay, this part is underbaked. This is like, so there's some objective stuff about baking, but then there's also stuff about like, oh, you can see the strawberries, you know, soaked into this, the, you know, the physics of baking. So I trust him on that kind of stuff. Although a lot of it does seem like backseat driving, like, oh, this needed to prove for another 20 minutes. Like, I'm sure the baker can see that as well. It's just like how many millions of things have you baked so that you can predict these things in advance and know exactly how long to cook everything. And they're, of course, picking people that don't have that massive amount of experience as much as they might have been doing in their spare time. But there are other things that they say that I just am not missed opportunities. You know, you really should have had a little more fruit in this. Like, really? I don't know. According to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's his opinion. But of course, he's telling a the audience as well. He's not really telling those people there. He's telling the millions of people watching. So if they're doing it, they go, oh, well, maybe I need to put more fruit in this. That's what Paul would say. (laughs) Make sure it proves a little more. Don't let it all go to the bottom. (laughs) Your soggy bottoms. (laughs) One thing that I love, love, love about this show is it feels like there are just so many dishes that we as Americans do not make that Brits do. 
you all have so many regional dishes that just sound delightful. Whether it's the particular types of meat pies, they're just names for various custards and cakes. As far as I know, we just don't have. What are some of your favorites, Stephen? I love a scone. I do love a scone. It's probably very easy, but I love the scone you know, or scones, as they might say. But I love the delicatessen type of thing, you know, the Ah. real sort of patisserie, you know, the lovely sort of glazed chocolate cakes, you know, dot with layers. I love the way Mary Berry says layers. She goes, layers, layers. Oh, that's got lovely layers. She sounds like the queen. She's more posh than the queen. And also about Mary Berry, sorry, I'm coming off topic. I love her hands and the way she eats. She eats out the side of her mouth. But I love a scone. I love bread. I mean, any bread across the country, wherever you are, whatever different breads, I adore bread. I love watching those episodes and the things they can do with bread. Like, the, do you remember the lion? That was the most spectacular thing. And he's desperate to be known for something else, but he's always known for that. He's a security guard at a prison ward. The best thing Paul Hollywood has seen in bread, right? Isn't that what he said? That's what he said. He said, I would never have attempted to do this mm-hmm. in bread. That's very <laughs> The other thing I love about, sorry, about Bake Off is it's so accessible to every, like everybody. It's not like watching a thing on athletes or ballet dancing. It's like anyone could walk into a kitchen and do anything that you've just seen on television. As long as you could follow a recipe, you could do this. You could end up with this in four hours. I love that. I never do it. Maybe not the sugar work. There's a lot of artistry in some parts of it. Yeah, five hours for the sugar. But if you had the tools and the time and, you know, you can follow a recipe, you could just do it. Could be you. If I had the people to clean up after me, I could do it. That's the part on these baking shows is that enormous mess that somehow has gone by the time judging happens. Isn't that the behind the scenes article that I found this morning that there's a one person who does all the dishes? Is there really? Yeah, the bakers do not clean up their own messes. I think what you were getting at, Erica, about these British foods that are foreign to us, or largely they are, definitely adds to the appeal as well. Because like the judge's reaction to Bakewell tarts, maybe that's just so trite for someone from the UK, but I've never had one, right? And so no, it, whenever they come out, I feel like their eyes are rolling. Oh, someone is reinterpreting this old classic. And I'm like, oh, like I've never had one. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm never allowed to travel again. <laughs> I'm going to go to England and I'm going to have me a Bakewell tart. It could be like, like a Twinkie, right? I mean, in terms of its sophistication, but that's definitely appealing. And I never quite know how they're going to react. And every now and then they get a challenge, which is something that's American, but they really don't know what it's supposed to be. I'm not particularly sophisticated for knowing it, but it, it's kind of a, a funny and unusual position to be in. Like, oh, they're being asked to make a long john. Like, yeah, okay, okay. I've never seen a long john. It's like, what? It feels wrong, doesn't it? It feels so wrong. It's like, I don't want to see you make a long john. Please just stick to it. Like, make it a Battenberg, whatever that is. <laughs> but also, when it was on the BBC, they used to have, because they didn't have adverts, like commercials, they used to have the historical section. Okay, so they had much more time to play with. So Mel and Sue would get dressed up and they would teach you all the history about the Bakewell tart and the Sally Lunn's buns and, you know, whatever, particularly scone or whatever. And they'd go to France and Paris and they'd teach you about croissants, where they first came from and all that. And I really missed that when it went to Channel 4. And my wife actually adores Bake Off and she loved those moments. Didn't Sandy do that a bit? Didn't we see her go back to Scandinavia? Yes, she did. But they haven't done it recently. I'm not sure why. Like in this past season, there wasn't a single episode that did that, right? I think that's right. 
And this last season, I know there was a lot of controversy. And part of that, I'm sure, is just the year that we're in. We had a lot of controversy in the world, but there was controversy over some of the bakes they were asked to do when they were asked to do something that was Japanese, correct? And some people were just doing, in general, some sort of Asian flair. I know there was controversy over that because people are saying, well, it's not really Japanese. And, and if you're going to honor a culture, you should actually do it and do some research about that. There was also controversy about one of the very last episodes. Are we doing spoilers on here? I think we should. You know what? Let's let everyone pause the podcast and go watch all of the current season and welcome them back from having watched and continue, Erica. I'm trying to find my article on that. I'm not even going to do the Brian thing and turn my volume off while you talk about the last season. I don't care enough. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So this year, there was controversy with Ermine, who was a wonderful baker from everything we could see. It was down to Ermine and Laura. And Laura had had some difficulties along the way, but evidently everything that she made tasted wonderful. That's always what they were saying. She was always low on time, but it tasted wonderful. And Armine was pretty consistent throughout and had won Star Baker a couple of times. And all of a sudden, on the way to the final, Armine was sent home and Laura was, stayed for the final. And there was so much hate on Twitter for Laura that Armine even got on and said, please stop this. It's okay. I'm fine. And Laura was upset saying, hi, everybody. I know that this is upsetting to you, but I'm a human being and this is very hurtful. And I know what it might look like on television, but none of you could ever taste any of my bakes. So please, you know, just consider what you're saying before you put it out there. And she also said, I had nothing to do with the decision. I did my best. And this is what the judges selected. And it speaks also to the show that began 10 years ago. And we were not having this kind of dialogue with regular people on social media. It was a thing 10 years ago, but it wasn't what it is now. And maybe reality shows are just, there's a certain aspect of them that all the many different ways that the internet has ruined everything. This is just one more thing it has ruined. It was so unfortunate because Amin was so good until that last episode when she left and she had a bad week, but everybody else had a great week. And so somebody has to go and it was really sh a shame because she was great. She was a brilliant baker all the way through. The social media part of it is just uh, awful. It's almost like we don't really deserve episode by episode. We deserve for the Brits to get it first and then the Americans can take it after the winner's been decided. So like our tweets don't mean anything anymore. You know, like we don't deserve to get that angry about Bake Off. Although I have to admit, I got angry about Bake Off this year. I did. I was frustrated by it. I didn't think it was as good. I found the combination of Matt Lucas and Noel Fielding not as enjoyable. I felt like they were very in your face and very childish with their humor and it became less about the bakes and more about how silly can we look. It really made me miss the old days of the Bake Off. This is the last season when they're all in quarantine. Is this right? Yeah, they're all in the bubble. Yeah. Is that the reason they're just going so loopy? Probably. They all stay together for, I don't know how much, a month on this right. little, you know, in this manor house. But how wonderful that it was presented, you know, when then nothing was being done. And then suddenly Channel 4 decided the country, the world needs the Great British Baking Show. And we did. And me and Emily, you know, we sat down to watch the first episode and we were both in tears, you know, with the orchestration at the beginning and like, and then seeing our favorite people. It's like, oh, this is wonderful. Thank God. Thank God for Bake Off. You know, it's come to save us. So I never really noted. I love that sort of silly humor to get, to get us through the um, terrible year. Maybe the standard I felt that wasn't quite 
as up there as it had been before, but I certainly enjoyed, really enjoyed the contestants. What do you think, Brian? Was not my favorite season at all. I have my frustration over the producer's inability to recognize that we are in a climate crisis and it gets to 40 degrees in the summer in England and they shouldn't be doing ice cream sculptures in that kind of heat is, <laughs> I just don't understand that. Like, what's next? Ice sculptures? I mean, I really want to see these contestants be able to succeed in what they're doing and fail because they don't have the skills and not because they don't have the tools or the right situation in order to do something great. I think regarding the host this year, boy, I just, I had such high hopes because I like Matt Lucas so much and I've enjoyed Noel, but it was just bad mix. And that was the article, was it Erica, the did you point us to the article that we can share on regarding the uh, the five? It was the French Revolution, how to deal with the bake-off. Yeah, so there are ingredients that maybe are all good but don't go well together, the hosts and the judges. And we can think about getting new ones, including, and there's nothing sacrosanct about Paul Hollywood either. I posted that on Facebook and I got a lot of hate. It's very controversial, I gotta say. <laughs> like, And that's the thing is like that, what I think that what that article was doing is it's like, no, but I love this thing. And when I say something that needs to be improved, it's not because I want it to sink. It's because I want them to fix it and to go back to some of the things that we loved about it before. So yeah, that's where my criticism comes from, is from a place of, yeah, but that's because I know what it could be and what it was for so long. But maybe, yeah, maybe I wasn't giving it a fair shake, Stephen. Maybe it is the quarantine issue or issues that would come along with that. But I did point you all to one episode that I wanted to check with you about, which is this current season, episode one, Cake Week. They made face cakes or bust cakes. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Had to do a quick check that we were watching an episode of Bake Off and not nailed it. Right? Seriously. They did not turn out well for the most part. Although they got to choose their own person. So it's not exactly like, here's this very fancy thing like on Nailed It that a professional baker make and you will never do this. It does sound like that is kind of what they do in some of the technical challenges is we're going to give you something that really is not doable without experience in this time frame and just see how these people, I feel like that's part of the drama of the reality show. It sounds like, Brian, you were very down on that whole, you want them to be achievable (laughs) and to show their actual talents as opposed to giving them how could you know anybody who's not a professional sculptor or whatever be expected to do an accurate representation of a particular human face let alone you know sculpted out of cake subject to the gravity and other other things that will mess it up and heat <laughs> yes I think, you know, when David Bowie's picture came up, it was, of course, terrible. But and then there was Lupita Nyong'o, which the biggest laugh I've had all year. My husband and I started laughing so hard we were crying. We had to watch it again and and tape it for our friends. I just love it. I don't need to watch like really good people do. I love the fact they're real people. You know, they make mistakes. They're not great at it. But I think it inspires millions of people to go out and do it themselves. And maybe they might be able to do it better than the people that they've seen on television with the help and encouragement of, you know, Paul and Prue. But um, I just, uh, I, yeah, I love, I loved that week. And they weren't all terrible. I liked them. Oh, it was funny. Yeah. Well, and they were kind of nice during the judging. There was like, at least this sort of looks like Freddie Mercury. Like, yeah. you know, it could be like a caricature that a non-artist might draw. <laughs> But at least, like, you got the mustache. I thought he little looked a little too much like Hitler myself. But <laughs> They're probably running out of things to do because you would never go into a shop and buy a loaf of bread that looks like somebody, you know, or a cake. <laughs> you know, they're just coming up with new things. 
But do they need to? That's what I don't know. I feel like we heard early on, like the very first episode, the first challenge was bake a cake. I feel like that could be the challenge every year for week one is bake a damn cake and let's see if you're any good at it. Like the one you're comfortable with. And if this is what you think is good, that's great. And if this is what you think is good and it's terrible, that tells us something about you too. You being unable to make a Ziggy Stardust cake doesn't give me any information. Would that not be you know, just get boring if you were having the same thing every series? This week, you're, we're making a cake. And there's this race. It slightly sticks, you know, goes to the formula situation right. we were talking about before. You've got the same types of people, and then they're going to make the same types of cake. That goes to something fundamental. And, and actually, I was surprised when I was looking, you know, and I got through the one season, I'm looking at the topics for the other one, and they actually do seem mostly the same. Like, there's always going to be a bread week. There's always going to be a cake week. Like, there's only so many variations of general types of baking that they're going to be. But I feel like with most reality shows, one season is probably enough. Like, I've had the experience now of this, and I didn't fall deeply in love with it in the way that it sounds like all of you have. So maybe I'll watch more of this, but more it was, it's, you know, I saw season one of Survivor. I saw a season or two of Project Runway. And like, yeah, I feel like I got the experience. I'm not, I don't know that I'm going to learn that much more about baking, or it's certainly not related to my actual appetite. That's, I guess, something I wanted to throw out to you, whether... Does the joy of watching this have anything to do with actually being hungry? Or what? It seems like there should... I realized last night I didn't, it wasn't until I was, you know, in bed watching some Bake Off that I realized how hungry I was. Mm. And then I noticed I just started, I started getting online and being like, what's the nearest bakery or how can I make this? And what ingredients do I need to order tomorrow so I can make bourbon balls or something, you know? Yeah. Not often for me, but every now and then I'll just see something like that egg wash that turns all brown. You're like, oh my God, hungry. (laughs) So hungry. (laughs) How about you, Stephen? Do you? It makes me realize how difficult everything is. Like if I go into a patisserie and I buy something, you know, for $5, I never realized before, you know, how much actually goes into making this thing. And now I go in, I sort of cut it and I look at the layers and I look at the glazing (laughs) and I look at whatever else they've done. And I think, and I think, did they listen to the cake, you know, as it was being proved, like Val would have done, if you ever seen Val, you know, and I think all of these things, all for $5 or whatever it is, you know, and I think, golly, this is intricate stuff. You know, so it has made me think about it. When I walk into a cake shop, I'm being tested. I'm being taxed in my brain. I'm thinking, <laughs> what actually went on? So we're not learning how to cook. We're learning how to judge. That is what we're getting out of this. How to appreciate the quality and the time. There is something beautiful about that. Maybe that's part of it that it's at the core is we get to see... I don't bake often, but I love baking. And I notice when I bake, I get a weird smile on my face that just happens. And it's because I was taught by my elderly babysitter and I was taught by my mother and the kneading of the dough. I remember learning how to do that. I remember learning how careful you have to be when you're measuring out ingredients. And we get to see them talk about that and talk about like, you have to whip the eggs just so or else you won't get that angel food to rise the right way. There is really a lot of beauty in that. And I bring a slightly different viewpoint, maybe an exact opposite viewpoint. And I have a complete inability to bake. And I'm good at a lot of things and I'm good at following instructions. But I have this belief, and I think it's from growing up in a Jewish household. And in part of Jewish cooking is you just leave stuff in for too long. 
You just like really just cook it, and that's that's cooking. And so, regardless of the instructions, I just leave stuff in too long, and it comes out just dry and burnt and hard, and, and to the point where I'm just done. I, I don't bake at all. It's just not for me. But it makes me appreciate that people can do it. I'm glad there are bakers in this world, and I'm glad people like to make this food, and I can be the recipient of it. And it will. There are some new things in life I want to try, but learning how to actually do this for real is just isn't one of them. Isn't there a story that the Israelites were fleeing Egypt and they didn't have time to let the bread prove enough and something like that? So they just baked the hell out of it and ran. (laughs) (laughs) You could change the storyline now. Let it prove. (laughs) Bake it. I do. I sometimes watch it and I think, and people get so like, you know, there was one lady, Val, she loves Christmas. She loves that, the baking, all the baking that goes into Christmas. And I think, why do we bake? You know, when we can go out and get everything so cheaply now. And I haven't come to any conclusion really, apart from, you know, it just feels very homely, doesn't it? It fills the air with homeliness and a lovely fuzzy feeling when, you know, you can smell all the baking that's gone on and the, you know, all the effort that's gone, effort and love that's gone into, you know, making each thing that your family is going to eat. It did cross my mind about, you know, future episodes. Are they going to have, you know, BakerBot 5000 be one of the contestants to compete against the humans that can, I can bake it right in my stomach. (laughs) Well, let's wrap this up. Thank you so much, Stephen, for adding your voice literally and figuratively to this discussion. Thank you very much. It's fascinating. This was great. Thank you. Thanks, folks, for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, Stephen. Bye. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com.